The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest Episode 128. The Sequel Quest crew reboots the DC Extended Universe. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Tell me, listener, do you bleed? You will. I mean, welcome to Sequel Quest! It's Comic-Con Month here on the Retro Network, and so we decided to fill up Hall H to announce our ideas for a rebooted DC Comics movie universe. So let me introduce you to our high-profile panelists who deserve your thunderous applause. First, ready to snap your neck in the name of justice, it's Super Jeff. Oh my god, this is already the <laughs> darkest show we've ever done! <laughs> Next is a man who will tell you, the bell has already been rung. It's Lex Jeremy. Ouch. <laughs> and here to remind you that we're podcasters. It's what we do. I'm Harley Adam. And returning for a fourth appearance on the podcast is a man who doesn't need a lasso of truth wrapped around him to give you his honest thoughts on Warner Brothers' handling of the DC Comics universe on the big screen. From Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, it's Michael Canetti. Hey, thanks for having me back. I feel like it's a homecoming for me. I I know it's been a while it's where we first met and so much podcasting has come since then you know i'm just excited to like be back talking to all three of you guys because it's like mm-hmm. i cut my teeth on podcasting with you guys and it really sparked this whole journey that adam and i are taking now and it's just fun to chat with you guys and I, I feel like a seasoned veteran now as opposed to like, <laughs> I don't want to screw this up. These guys know what the hell they're doing. I'm like, oh, don't look like an idiot. You know, and here's the thing. When it comes down to a lot of people, they want to leave 2020 in the dust, right? It's a time for new beginnings. So we thought, why not also leave the troubled DCEU for Warner Brothers in the past eh? and start all over again by creating our own DC Comics cinematic universe. But Jeremy, real quick, for those who may not understand the concept of the dceu they just hear uh something that's not quite all the vowels can you explain just what that means in the history of the films we're going to be discussing tonight well i mean briefly it's what a series of eight nine films here man of steel batman v superman dawn of justice suicide squad wonder woman justice league Aquaman, Shazam, Birds of Prey, and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I think I got that one right. (laughs) And Wonder Woman 1984. Um, That's kind of just the basic overview it all started with Zack Snyder and well it didn't continue with Zack Snyder after 2017 so now did you include Green Lantern on that list did I miss that no Green Lantern is not part of the DCE no matter how hard maybe they should have tried to make that happen because it would have been cool but we'll get into that Wolfgang Peterson was supposed to do the original Batman v Superman movie oh right back in the day and but yeah the green lantern and ryan reynolds thing was supposed to be their attempt at doing iron man to like spark a universe and it didn't spark like robert downey jr did spark for <laughs> iron man well it sparked deadpool so 
Yeah, that's right, true. Exactly. <laughs> so so Nolan is not this, right? No. And neither is Joker, right? No. Okay. Well, well, Nolan, he is credited as executive producer on Man of Steel, but he has made many statements to say, <laughs> other than reading maybe the first one or two drafts of the script, had nothing to do with the movie because it was outside of his vision for the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. Right. The whole Nolan verse is a different... They just yeah. needed a little bit of uh, fair dust to come off of him to Zack Snyder to yeah. pass the torch of DC well, more films. so they wanted it the name they just wanted his yeah his name on it so that yeah. they could tout it right and then like, Arrowverse is different too right correct so we've got all kinds of verses oh Jeff you have so much to learn my friend oh <laughs> man you you are in for it tonight my friend it, oh, it is oh. separate but similar <laughs> there is a connecting tie, but we'll a, see if I thread. touch on that. It's right. a loose okay. thread, yes. Now, Michael, you were the Batman, in this case, of our Justice League tonight, who assembled a team to take on this monumental task. You contacted us through various means. So why don't you tell us what inspired this podcast crossover event that could change entertainment as we know it? <laughs> Batman v Superman, there's a lot of problems with that movie, and I have a lot of thoughts on that, and obviously Justice League is is a big problem, but Wonder Woman 1984 as well is kind of a bit of a problem. But this competition started long before we saw WW84. This was really, I think it, st- oh, was it Birds of Prey that I was talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah so yeah so i was watching the birds of prey emancipation of harley quinn which jeremy got 100 percent right and i gotta I give you credit yeah so i watched uh birds of prey and in, in probably about three or four sittings and it is rough to get through real rough <laughs> yeah and i think that that is the general reaction to a lot of the films in this universe so essentially i said you know it'd be kind of cool if we did some sort of like reboot of dceu and reimagine it and ooh, let's do a crossover event of sequel quest and wizards and see what we can kind of come up with now jeff you are someone who holds the richard donner superman in such high esteem and that was kind of like the benchmark for superhero films as i understand it for you in many ways for many years so when they announced we're doing green lantern and we're gonna start doing other films and we're really ramping up to something big what was your thought process as to dc comics movies that you wanted to see or or that you thought they could pull off well actually for me it goes back to superman returns is that i remember when superman returns was being pitched because it was being pitched as a direct sequel to the richard donner superman they were using deleted scenes and they were even going to still use marlon brando as the voice of and i was I was over the moon excited about that. Me too. Like, I, I felt the I same thought, exact way when that movie. Oh, I was like, I thought I it's finally they're gonna nail it. And like, and I remember that first teaser. It was it was on <laughs> in multiple ways. It was on par with that first teaser for Phantom Menace, where I was just as excited and just as disappointed. Uh, <laughs> and so after seeing that one, I was just kind of like, oh, just. No. And for me, even the Nolan verse, because with the Nolan movies, not that I don't respect them or enjoy them, but they are very different. And they are an attempt to make DC as real as it can, which for me is a different direction than I think DC is meant to go. 
So even though I enjoyed Nolan, it kind of burnt me out. So then by the time Man of Steel, I didn't see Man of Steel, and I didn't want to because I was kind of like, I can't imagine they're going to do it well. Finally saw it, and I, it lived up to all of my, Worst I guess, fears. expectations. Reservations? Fears, there you go. <laughs> Reservations. And the whole, like, Kevin Costner just, oh. And I love me some Kevin Costner. But, I do, too. But when yeah. they did that, oh, man. I, I have thoughts on that, trust me. The Kevin yeah. Costner thing. And honestly, like, for me, like, the whole him killing Zod, I was over it before then. I was He had already lost me. To be like, that was the, the linchpin. No, no. Yeah, Jeremy, so obviously you've been all in on the Marvel films, but we've talked in the past, I mean, we pitched a fourth Christopher Nolan Batman film, you guys could go in the archives and find that, we pitched a Man of Steel sequel as well, but like, are were you excited when you heard about, you know, this Green Lantern or this Man of Steel or any of this as much as you were getting into the Marvel films? More so on the reserve side, I wanted to see how they would build it up, and well, was not really disappointed in how they pulled things off or didn't. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know for me, like, I was excited when Green Lantern was coming to theaters. Like, I knew Ryan Reynolds from Just Friends. That movie with Amy Smart and uh, Anna Not Ferris. Van Wilder? Not Van Wilder. I hadn't seen that movie, but I, I saw Just Friends and I was like, oh, I like this guy. Okay. But it was a situation where I went to the theater. Like, I, I can remember vividly going to the theater, how it had been built up. They were saying, like, oh, it's like Star Wars and we're really going to build out this whole <laughs> universe and it's going to be great. And I remembered, like, there were rumors for years before there was going to be a comedic take by Jack Black. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, Jack Black, you know, just ruined the Green Lantern character, but that never happened, luckily. And then, yeah, there was, like, the George Miller Justice League that was going to have Common as Green Lantern. And I was like, okay, well, I guess they're just going back to Hal Jordan. Okay. And then, yeah, watching that movie in the theater and then just being like what another cloud monster and, oh, yeah. and just like every, it was it was just so disappointing on every level like as it went on and on and then the end with like it was so upsetting that when they teased the sequel with sinestro at the very end the end credits i'm just like oh no like i would not come back for that movie no matter what you're promising it was very disappointing so when man of steel came out i was just like okay well it sounds like they're trying to go a different direction i didn't mind Zack snyder's Watchmen. I thought it was an incredibly faithful adaptation for the most part, probably too much so, most people said. But then I saw Man of Steel. I took my mom to the theater for Man of Steel because I'm like, oh, you know, it's a Superman film, mom, you know? And again, left that theater. We were just the absolute, like, onslaught of sound and intensity and grimness and everything that was in Man of Steel just instantly said, oh, no, this is where they're taking everything like i can't handle it like and i tried rewatching it oh, I, mean, I did rewatch it for this podcast and i was just like man i i'm so depressed to watch the rest of the dceu films because this was not a good start to me at all honestly like they're just i don't know that superman almost seems to be done better on tv than he is in the movies outside of the first you know richard donner film and the director's cut of superman 2 but yeah so i'm 
curious then, you know, for you, Michael, I mean, going back to Man of Steel and where, however far back you want to go, you are the DC Comics fan. You are a guy who's deep into the lore. Did you even have reservations already when Zack Snyder was going to be involved? So first, I'll touch quickly on Green Lantern. And they called it a space opera is what they they let they tagged it as, just so you know. And they're like, yeah, it's Star Wars, like a space opera. Just so you know. I actually thought Blake Lively was really good as Carol Ferris, but beyond that, the movie is not good. I'll leave it at that. In regards to Man of Steel, I was fairly excited about it because I, too, loved Watchmen. I loved 300. I thought that was a really great comic adaptation as well. And I was like, okay, cool. I could I can get on board with a little bit more gritty, darker Superman because, as Jeff had mentioned, Superman Returns was such a bummer because you're like, you've got Superman, but in three hours of a movie, he doesn't hit anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he hit and a I'm, plane. He hit or I a guess plane. he caught a plane. Caught a plane, <laughs> and he lifted an island of kryptonite and had had no discomfort except for a piece that was stuck in his, in his gut. I'm like, you just lifted an island of kryptonite into space. But that didn't stop you, but a piece of little shard in your hip was no good? Okay, I'm out. Anyway, so one of the things about the Man of Steel movie that I thought was great was the marketing of it. Like, because I remember them saying, like, they kind of piggybacked on the Superman one of, like, you'll believe a man can fly. And just, like, the sound from the trailer, like, you see him taking off for the first time. I'm like, oh, this looks like something I could get into. And Henry Cavill was just so big. You're like, this is what Superman should look like. And then but the movie Michael, came... he... Remember the big controversy? Where is his red Speedo? Who cares about the red Speedo? <laughs> Only anybody that stopped reading comics in 94 cares about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's a lot of problems with Man of Steel. I agree. It's overly, overly violent and destructive. But here's the the trade-off to that, right? So Avengers Age of Ultron, which came out not much far off the time of this, they basically lifted up a city and had all this mass destruction from the Avengers. But then when you have Avengers Civil War, they say 65 people died in that thing. I'm like, there was Ultron robots everywhere just destroying everything. And you're telling me only 65 people died at that uh, Sarkadian Accord? or whatever it's called it just didn't line up that i'm like come on They're, they did that as a reaction to the bad press that man of steel got because there's so much destruction and you'd assume hundreds of thousands of people would die in that movie agreed or disagreed no agreed and yet for me i yeah. didn't care that they destroyed an entire city with their fight and like it didn't register to me till after the fact and everybody started talking about it what it was to me though is superman says in that movie on my planet this means hope right that is not a hopeful film that is a me 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 what is going on inside superman poor superman i'm an alien people don't <laughs> let me be a super guy like it was the saddest most emo film and it was everything was washed out the saturation it was just terrible like oh like, it, it was washed it, out it was not it was... an inspiring film i mean you can say however goofy that christopher reeve looked in that outfit the way he played the character oh, made you, you like love superman. everything and made you feel good about life just watching him there's a good person in this world that he has powers that is not anywhere near what henry cavill was asked to do i don't blame him but yeah that, but that him. was the film he was in and i was just like wow just everything is dour everything is sad there is like really the only humor you got 
thought were a few lines, you know, from Lois Lane, and Amy Adams always lights up the screen, but she couldn't save that movie, you know? No, she couldn't, she couldn't save that movie. Who played Martha Kent? What's her name? Uh, Diane... Diane Lane, right? Yeah. She's great in the movie, too, but she's got such little to do in the film, just like Amy Adams, that they don't have enough screen time to have that reveal or, like, that, that hopefulness. And the other big problem of the of that movie is not having a Jimmy Olsen to create some sort of levity mm. is, is also a big problem because Jimmy Olsen in the lore of Superman is kind of like what keeps him human in a way, like keeps him relatable and, and grounded in a sense because he's got this young kid that idolizes Superman but also idolizes Clark Kent and he's just like this innocent kid that's almost like in a way if you're reading Superman comics early on or even in the 90s or so you would see things through the lens of Jimmy Olsen. Don't worry, they brought him eventually. And then and they killed him the five seconds later. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about this then. So yeah, so Man of Steel was the kickoff. I mean, to my understanding, Jeremy, it was a hit though, right? It's not like, despite all the controversy, it did very yeah, well. Yeah, it, it did well at the box office. I saw we it twice can say year. that. We had Man of Steel and then, was it really like, was it really three years and then Batman v Superman? Like that, we waited yeah. that long for the next yeah. film? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy to me because I, I really thought like Suicide squad was before that or something but they were just the same year they were the same year it was close to back to back a couple months apart well and they delay didn't they delay suicide squad like three times yeah there was some issues there, there yeah the and, and for those who follow that yeah david ayers the director basically had the film taken away from him at a certain point they recut everything and honestly like i think i like the movie they put together better than whatever the ayers cut is going to be i've long maintained that suicide squad is my favorite dc movie of this era it is the one that i, I go back how. to the most yeah <laughs> i watch it the most i just it's because it's the one that has some actual humor and some camaraderie and some you know what I'm saying like it's not an intense movie there's a lot of violence but it's all almost funny violence or it's just kind of cool but it's not in any way trying to be like a deep film or like an you know an intense film it's just like you know what this is wild it's neon it's crazy and so like it grabbed me so much and I I loved you know I, I remember seeing the first trailer that was all down Hour, and I'm sure that's what they were going for originally. Then they had the trailer company recut it. And then they said, we like the trailer you did so well. You recut the entire movie and make it like the trailer. And then I was just like, yes, you did it. You made this fun. And I know that the villain is terrible. I know that ultimately, you know, the story has plenty of plot holes, but it's a fun watch. I was laughing. I don't think I was supposed to be, but <laughs> I was definitely... Anytime the big line in the movie is, lady, you are evil. <laughs> oh, Will Smith. Remember or, when he was an A-lister? <laughs> or, or like that line that Inferno says, he's like, I've already lost one family. I'm not going to lose another. I'm like, you've known each other for a day. <laughs> yeah, they're oh. your family. Well, yeah, that was that's... the thing on that movie, though. Behind the scenes, like, they were so tight that they all got tattoos that said squad. They were <laughs> all, like, in on that movie 100%. So it was kind of interesting how they did that. But yeah, I know. Again, I'm not going to win this argument. Nobody likes Suicide <laughs> Squad. I love Suicide Squad. But I think we're all on the same page uh, when it comes to Batman v Superman. Jeremy, give us your thoughts. Batman. Superman theatrical and extended cut? Oh, 
Uh, you can hear most of my thoughts if you go back into our archives and listen to that episode. Uh, it was a movie, <laughs> and they gave us an extended version of it. Um, <laughs> they they cut out some things that actually made the movie make sense in the extended cut, put it back in. So it's something. That's fantastic. They finished it. Yep. <laughs> Did they, though? I feel like it's unfair. Well, uh, yeah, according to themselves. <laughs> yes. I mean, for me, Batman v Superman is the movie where, okay, you know, Ben Affleck did not get his own solo Batman film ever, and yet he was the Batman of this universe, and this was as close as we got to a new Batman movie, and he is intense, he is a psychopath, he is, I mean, there's a whole lot of crazy going on with him in this movie, and yet I was very interested, if they were gonna go dark, Batman was the character I said, okay, go dark with Batman. Just don't bring Superman into it and make him super down on humanity and make him an aloof god as he's being praised in this film, right? And it's just like, ah, like, that was what depressed me. It's like, again, no hope with Superman. Only, (laughs) everybody hates me, so I guess I'll just be a depressed guy and uh, you want to make out in the bathtub, Lois? (laughs) And other stuff, you know, but yeah, so I just, I, I didn't enjoy what they did to Superman. And yet, we get the debut of Gal Gadot, and she looked awesome in that fight scene at the end. I mean, that was a cool moment. She had no dialogue, good fortunately, but she <laughs> looked awesome. Yeah, what was your what was your initial reaction, Jeff, with Batman v Superman? Oh, yeah, the Wonder Woman intro is awesome. And when she first lands, it's almost like if they could have just made that the movie, like this is like a five second movie of just da 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 da, like great. My wife watched that one scene many a time. But after that, yeah, just the whole thing, it was too long, and yet it felt like they cut out some pretty important things where it was just like it still didn't make sense. And and that like you were saying, Jeremy, I think adding in the stuff they cut out isn't gonna help. It was just it was a mess and it was was like there were so many decisions that were just like bad decisions and yeah i don't know there were there were moments that it felt like you could have done something with that but you didn't they wanted this whole question to be about like superman doesn't care enough about people or something like that but batman clearly doesn't care about humans either because he's murdering them by the dozen And yeah, there were just so many holes that it just, I don't know, I didn't find it enjoyable. I gotta say, though, the opening scene... I love Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne running through the crumbling city. Like, that was very, very cool. It's actually in my notes of things that I wanted to mention because I do love that scene, too. It's the only real redeemable scene in that movie, in my opinion. So, from a filmmaking standpoint, I look at Batman v Superman as a badly edited film. Cuts don't make sense. The sound mix, in a lot of times, does not make sense either. When you shoot film, right, and you shoot a a, a scene, there is there heard of the, the fourth wall sure so like filming a shot in 180 degrees so if, if my cat if my head is the camera everything has to happen in frame between 180 degrees of my head and it feels like a lot of times the camera is reversed and things don't feel in the right position and they feel out of order and the movie feels out of order as well like it was cut really weird and kind of like lumped together after that first initial scene. It has a lot of problems there. I think Ben Affleck did a really good job as Batman trying to bring to life the Dark Knight Returns style of Batman, because that's what they were trying to do. Right. 
beyond that, there's a lot of things that are just not great about the movie, and I think it's mostly the story. You know, whether you're talking about comics, you're talking about movies or anything, if the story is a problem, no amount of acting or visual effects or editing will make that redeemable. Right. So we also have to remember this is Zack Snyder, and he yeah. is famous for taking uh, comic book panels and saying, we're shooting this. Yeah. We're shooting that. And we're using this as our storyboard and that. And as long as we get that shot, we'll piece it together with something else. Exactly. We'll he, make it work. That's that's what he does. He's beautiful about bringing the comic image to life. And, the spectacle. Exactly. But the, the story has always been a problem with, with Zack Snyder, other than maybe Watchmen to the fact that he basically just took the Alan Moore story and said, here, let's just write, here, let's just make Here's this. our script. Yeah, but Watchmen was at least bright enough to see what was going on. In every subsequent film, it's like he filmed <laughs> it, you know, he's just like, lower, lights, dark. lower, lower. <laughs> more sepia, more yeah, gray. Throw it in. We don't need lighting. Oh. Well, and and Adam, you brought up that this is the all we were going to see of Ben Affleck as Batman. He was in the works before he pulled out of everything, personal life issues, all of that that caused him to step away. But he was in the works on his own Batman film that was going to spawn his storyline, basically. Mangianello, who played Deathstroke in Justice League, just revealed a lot of things. Just this past month, he said that when he read the original script from Ben Affleck, this is his quote, it was a really dark story in which Deathstroke was like a shark horror movie villain that was dismantling Bruce's life from inside out. It was this systemic thing. He killed everyone close to Bruce and destroyed his life to try to make him suffer because he felt that Bruce was responsible for something that happened to him. Um, and that was supposed to spawn off of that Justice League end credit scene with him on the boat with Lex. He wrote it and was going to direct it, right? Affleck? Yes. Okay. Isn't that just season two of Arrow? <laughs> it sounds uh, in like a way. Yeah. 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 Well, but at the same time, Arrow really doesn't have many great stories of Green Arrow himself. So they made him into the CW versus Batman mm-hmm. because they were told he couldn't, they couldn't use Batman. They couldn't use Bruce until recently. And so they've been like, okay, well, we're just going to take all of Batman's good stories. We'll twist them and give them a little Green Arrow flair. Yeah. Nobody cares what we do in our TV side anyway until crisis yeah yeah it's interesting how they yeah that really did kind of bring a lot of stuff together and it became an event and everybody's downloading apps so they could get the whole story and everything else but yeah so it felt like with you know the on the cw the flash was happening and yet they kept talking about a flash movie was going to happen and it just wasn't coming together they're like we cast this guy he's going to be the flash yeah Yeah, i know it's finally in the works they say but in the meantime you know the batman v superman the debut of gal gadot as wonder woman we get her in Wonder Woman, and it is like the breath of fresh air that everybody was waiting for. We're like, oh, you can see actual sunlight in this movie. And then in the middle of the movie, okay, Zack Snyder was definitely influencing No Man's Land and all the darkness that happens here. But, but mostly, you know, at the beginning, everything on, on Themyscira, everybody's like, oh, yes, yes, this is beautiful. We love these Amazons. And you feel good about a hero who is somewhat naive, but also a positive 
Force, who has a sidekick in Chris Pine, who is also a, a quipster, finally, you know, and all these things that we've been hoping for that we just want in a fun superhero movie, not a, ah, oh, wow, let's destroy the world superhero movie. And so with, with Wonder Woman, uh, you know, Jeremy and I, we got to share our thoughts again on our sequel chat review. But Jeff, where did you fall on Wonder Woman? I, I really enjoy, I mean, like, it almost feels like it doesn't deserve to be in this conversation because it's it's too good of a movie compared to the rest of the DC universe. It's all, it's like its own its own sort of a thing. Yeah. My only issue that I had with it was that it felt like as much as they wanted it to be like, oh, it's Wonder Woman. It's like the perfect female empowerment movie. They still managed to figure out a way to make the male character the main hero. And that was the one that just kind of bugged me. It's like, seriously? You're going to make him die as the hero? But that's just whatever, the way that they wrote it. But outside of that, as far as a movie is concerned, an origin story, the performances, like all of it, I just thought it all worked. Michael, are you pro-Wonder Woman? I'm about 85% pro Wonder Woman. <laughs> I don't love everything about it. I don't think they made it World War One and not World War Two because it feels like it's just so far back. And it's just a different kind of story. And again, even though the Themyscira stuff is beautiful and bright, but yeah, as soon as they got to the real world, it's gray, gritty, Zack Snyder influences. And, you know, I, I think Chris Pine is great. I agree with Jeff that why does he have to die the martyring hero, so to speak? The villain at the end, the payoff isn't that great. It's just like, oh, we need a big explosive menacing villain and it wasn't a great payoff the thing is like i feel like wonder woman doesn't have a lot of rewatchability for me hmm. that's my feeling yeah i mean i've long maintained it's it's the good dceu movie suicide squad is the fun dceu movie that's where i fall so i go back to those two more than any of them i kind of only watch the other ones for research when needed so then we got justice league then they're like okay guys we finally have our avengers so so long after the avengers already broke through and got it done right so with justice league i mean we don't need to get into the whole back and forth we got the snyder cut coming i mean the the true original vision of the creator but justice league was batman is kind of in a way the central figure of it so it's kind of another part of a batman movie and then everybody else is along for the ride plus we're getting cyborg and the debut of jason momoa as aquaman it uh, it remains to be seen if we'll ever see cyborg Cyborg again does not seem to be the case. Uh, the actor who played him has many contentions with Joss Whedon as well as the head of Warner Brothers. So, I mean, contracts may force him to do this, but... <laughs> Actually, his contract has lapsed. It oh, lapsed. already? Okay. Yeah. Sometime last year, it lapsed. Like, it, his, it, the contract expired already. And uh, that's what, like, Ezra Miller, he was able to sign a new contract to extend his, but Ray Fisher, he didn't re-sign his, so his contract lapsed. And yes, I even forgot about Ezra Miller, because to me, he is to be forgotten. Oh, God. Let's talk about this here, just real quick, though, the casting of the new characters in Justice League. I think we all knew about the drama, you know... 
Zack Snyder had a tragedy in his family, so he backs out. And then they bring in Joss Whedon to complete the film, and yet he basically just rewrites it and reshoots a bunch of stuff. And then we have a movie, and everybody knew it was going to be a mess going in. I mean, it was made very clear in the press that this was, you know, just stitched together from different visions. So the only thing you could hang on to is, okay, well, they have new characters that you haven't seen before, just maybe teased in Batman v Superman. But what did you guys like these new characters that they decided to to flesh out the rest of the Justice League team? Jeremy? Um, I mean, I was kind of interested in how they were going about Ezra Miller's Flash cyborg and how their their backstories put them into position to be those heroes of which we never really learned how ezra became the flash or anything so i it was kind of interesting i wanted more more than just some random video clips off of LexCorp servers mm. but we didn't get too much from them so i can't really say yay or nay on yeah. on them really how about you, Jeff? Yeah, it's kind of the same. And I feel like, which we were saying at the time, or it was said at the time, is that where Justice League failed, one of the many ways, as opposed to the Avengers, is the Avengers, each character had already had their own movie, except for like Hawkeye and Black Widow had already been in other movies. Hawkeye was kind of in the, And so he actually kind of gave you Hawkeye's background when you saw him in Thor. Whereas with Justice League, you didn't do that. So you had to kind of work in some of their backstories for all of the people that don't read comic books and for the, all the kids that they wanted to go see it uh and so that was already a, a a problem and i mean for me like to get to your question adam like of the the three of them i've never quite understood why i mean i guess i understand the new or whoever it is that made the new justice league that has cyborg in them but as someone who was familiar with dc comics in the 80s and 90s cyborg cyborg are you kidding me i mean come on he's not an a-lister he doesn't deserve their up there with batman and superman and wonder woman cyborg what a joke but he does have one of the more interesting kind of backstories about his whole like the you know dad and all that sort of stuff like that as far as the casting is concerned though i'm still kind of used to the old school aquaman with like the, the the tight blonde hair and all that but they all had that same sort of a look back in those days and so they went from more of the beefy like whatever and being a game of thrones guy like jason like how are you gonna go wrong other than the fact that you knew ben affleck wasn't gonna you know yield enough screen time to let like we all wanted to see him like show us momoa the ladies all want to see him the guys all think he's great <laughs> like ben affleck you're so like 1990 man let's let's see this hunk of meat instead and that was not really meant to be yeah, I mean, for me, like, it ultimately just came down to, I was like, okay, we have these new characters, they're here, the story doesn't hold my attention, and I hate the villain in Justice League, I mean, just the, the video game villain again, you know, and I don't play any of those types of video games that that model might appear in, so it didn't appeal to me. And, like, if it just felt to me, like, especially, you know, also the controversy, because it was terribly distracting, Henry Cavill's mustache erasing, just all the <laughs> things like just you couldn't win with this movie so why not just shelve it release aquaman maybe try to get that ben affleck batman movie done if you could pull him together but it didn't seem like it was gonna happen it just felt like they should have just I, I know they had already started filming but it's almost just like wait for Zack snyder 
to be ready and then do it later because just to put it out to put it out because you promoted it and and to such derision it just seemed like a poor choice was there any redeeming quality for you michael in justice league okay so i'll give you guys a little bit of information that you may or may not know so as we stated Zack snyder had a tragic death in his family and that's why he stepped away from the film so at the time they said that he had suggested bringing in joss whedon to finish editing the movie because he had already shot his complete film but when joss whedon stepped in they said we need to make this movie lighter and softer so rewrite part of it and go and reshoot it but here's the problem it's got to be done and ready to release in november because the executives at Warner Brothers will lose their bonuses if this movie is not released in 2017. So he had literally six months to rewrite half of the movie, essentially, or maybe more, and then go and shoot it and then edit it. That's why everything is so rushed. Joss Whedon was under a lot of pressure to get all this done. So they said he was a tyrant on set because he was under such a strict deadline that he he couldn't be anything more than just a lunatic to try to push everybody through and that's why he got a lot of bad flack because of his behavior but he was so nervous to get this movie done on time and if you notice in the movie he's he's credited as a writer because they could not credit him as director because you technically can't list two directors on a film because of awards or something like that some sort of legality of it because of the unions and such so that's why they gave him a writer credit as opposed to a director credit on that movie now that aside the movie is a hot mess we all agree it's two hours to the minute to the second because they said they had to keep this movie under two hours because Zack Snyder films are so long and people got tired of seeing these long long movies so the cyborg thing that Jeff was mentioning the reason why they put cyborg in because this time the DC was doing the new 52 right and in that they brought cyborg onto the team because cyborg's body is is linked to Apocalypse, and he's partially like a throughput way to Darkseid, and he can create boom tubes to like transport him, transport everybody from place to place and place and so on. And that's why they wanted that character in there because they were going to lean heavily into the Darkseid storyline, and they needed something that be like that, the tether to tie it to it. That being said, they didn't do a great job of establishing that or even explaining that, other than showing that he was kind of forged from a mother box, but they don't really show it too well. Well, it's kind of shown in that computer video that you see that you don't really get. For me, with the trailer alone, when I saw that first trailer and I saw the way that they had Ezra Miller running as the Flash, I was like, oh boy, this is a problem. <laughs> and that Flash costume is so bad. I'm like, Barry Allen is a forensic scientist. Why would he ever why would he ever wear a suit that his fingertips are exposed that he could leave fingerprints anywhere? Like that's a big problem for me. And I, I think Momoa was is fine as Aquaman. I too am more of like a, you know, super friends kind of Aquaman, but I was okay with it because there is precedent that the brawler style Aquaman of the nineties. And and I was fine with it. And again, I agree. He didn't have enough screen time. They didn't give him a lot to do. They kind of just made him into a bro and not really like a hero essentially in that movie. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of business involved in making justice league. (laughs) Well, I think too, and like that was, if anyone's seen, I'm sure, I hope, Hopefully you guys have seen the short uh, comedian guy. Um, Pat Oswalt. Thank 
you, Patton Oswalt. Amazing. Uh, his rants about the MCU and Star Wars and stuff like that. But one of the things he talks about is how Hawkeye and Black Widow are not A-listers and they don't deserve to be in the Avengers, which from that perspective, you could say, okay, that's true. And yet the Avengers pulled it off. But the Avengers did still have the big dogs. I mean, they had Hulk, they had Captain America, they had Iron Man, they had Thor. Whereas with Justice League, yes, you have Batman, yes, you have Superman, you have Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman is kind of a new commodity because she hadn't had a movie until recently. Aquaman, like the rest, you needed at least one more big dog, I think. Because Aquaman, yes, to DC fans, he is... Kind of a pretty big deal, but if you're going to do it without Green Lantern, which I'm sure they would have loved to have Green Lantern, without... I mean, Flash, I guess, is a big deal, but again, I mean, they played him off like a kid, so I don't know. I felt like it was missing one character. So I have in my notes, and I, I'm going to jump ahead and let you guys... So there is actually a series of promotional material for Justice League called Unite the Seven. Right. And it, and it has pictures of all the different Justice Leagues under it, and you're trying to figure out what that seven means. Some people thought that Unite the Seven means like Aquaman uniting the seven seas. I always took it as the seven members of the Justice League, which right. the seventh member would either be Martian Manhunter or Green Lantern. That's generally who falls into that category of the seven members of the Justice League. But when I think they had to rush and redo the movie under Joss Whedon, they kind of nixed that entire marketing campaign and just said, oh, this is what we got. We're not adding any other characters in, period. Just get the movie done, period. Right, because as we've been learning through Zack Snyder, that Martian Manhunter is in his cut of the movie. Yeah. That's going to be pretty cool to see. And he was teased in Man of Steel. Oh, really? How did I miss that? The military officer at the end, that is Martian Manhunter. Yeah, and, and the girl there is Carol Ferris. Yes. Oh, I had no idea. I did not make that connection. That's cool. So here's the thing. So then after Justice League, we get Aquaman, and that was kind of the last of, like, that really is core, like, Justice League, like, really building this universe. You know, Aquaman, for me, it happened. I didn't see it in theaters. I really didn't have any desire. And then I rented it, and I'm like, mm. it was another one that felt too long for me, and I wasn't invested in anybody because it's just a character running away from responsibility and he's heartbroken and he's just kind of a, a sad guy in the ocean but even he's a tough guy because he's got to hide it and I, I just I didn't enjoy Aquaman really I was just like eh. I didn't see any problems with it but it was boring to me as we close out here on this grouping uh, any big Aquaman fans in the crowd here people raved about it they're like Oh, it hit the billion dollar club. Yeah, of course it did, because people needed something and they like Momoa and it's visually brighter and different than the other DC movies. But overall, it's OK. It's not a great film. It's I mean, can you point out a moment in that movie? Can you say, remember when this happened? I remember nothing. Honestly, you know, the some of my favorite moments, believe it or not, is people might think that I'm crazy. I thought like some of the Amber Heard like Mera stuff is some of the best stuff in the movie. The end where Nicole Kidman comes back as his mother. I, I really thought she was going to be really bad, but she's actually really enjoyable in the movie. I remember Mary Poppins as a, a sea monster. That's what I remember. Wow. I was just like, what is happening? What that who voiced that? Who no way. <laughs> what is going on?
I thought Dolph Lundgren was terrible in it, but that's just because he's a terrible actor. And I don't like Patrick Wilson, so making him the, one of the big bads, <laughs> I was just like, yeah. yeah. There was a there could have been better casting for that. I I honestly thought that the scene where Black Manta is chasing them through that like village, I guess it was like in Venice or something. It was probably the best scene in the movie, but if you asked me to like recite how it happened, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember how it really happened, but I I do really I thought Amber Heard was really good. Honestly, if I were to envision Mera, who's one of my favorite DC characters that's not, you know, of the Justice League, she was really good. Uh, beyond that, I And she got less. a lot of flack as being a terrible actress. I didn't think she was bad. I, she, I, wasn't, I, she wasn't bad in that movie. Yeah. That's about it. So here's the thing. Then there were a bunch of movies that came out after, and they almost feel like they're not part of the whole, right? You know, much to Jeff's point about Wonder Woman, even more so is Shazam, which I really enjoyed in theaters, but I 100% don't even count it as a DCEU movie. I mean, you have somebody in a Superman costume from the neck down show up at the very last second of that movie, I guess, to officially tie it in. But I just think that that is a fun movie. It's a good watch, but I, I don't count it in any uh, of the lore of, of this universe that they've built up. Okay, I might I might have to fact check this, but I believe on the digital version, or at least on the DC, HBO Max, whatever streaming service they're using, they have reinserted Henry Cavill at the end there. Oh, really? Like you see, so you actually see his face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have that movie on, I guess, iTunes or whatever digital streaming I bought it from. And he's not in it there, but I haven't watched it on HBO Max. I'm curious about that. I, I remember hearing somebody say that that happened, but uh, definitely need to fact check that. Okay. There, there is a moment in the movie where Freddy does show Billy Batson a batarang. That's right. And it is the same batarang that Ben Affleck had, but that's one of the only like through points that links it to the... DCEU other than the Superman appearance at the end of the movie. I, too, I, I like this movie a lot, but I agree that it doesn't feel like it's a part of the overall universe in a way. Um, and do we really need to get into Birds of Prey? Michael, I know you have so much to say, and yet that, again, is a film, even though Harley Quinn was a breakout star of Suicide Squad, she's getting her own movie, guys! You know, and it's like it's a super you know, heroin team, they're super vigilantes, whatever they are, and I know it's just, it, it's definitely its own thing as well that movie just stands alone oh it's something all right <laughs> wonder woman 84 i mean again it, it just came out everybody is still forming opinions i have to listen to your uh, your sequel chat about it i haven't got a chance to listen to that yet i'm curious to what the three of you guys had to say about it jeff have you seen it yet no not yet okay yeah michael i know you have a lot to say but we don't have time for, for three hours. But what I'll say about Birds of Prey is a couple. I have like only three or four little thoughts. One is I hate how they make Rosie Perez as uh, Montoya basically playing Rosie Perez from White Men Can't Jump. And she just doesn't come off to me as Montoya as a character. I thought that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a, she's trying really well to come off as a good huntress, except that they just don't know how to create that character properly and her costumes are horrendous i thought the young lady who plays young lady like i don't know like i'm an 80 year old man oh my god <laughs> 
the girl who plays Black Canary is really, really good. She's, She's probably the best. The best, part, yeah. best part of the whole movie. But what they do to Cassandra Kane in this movie, it turned me off in the first five seconds of the movie. I'm like, hey, that character is such a cool comic book character. For those of you guys who don't read comics or don't know about this character, she's called the Orphan, and she's a master martial artist. She doesn't speak at all, or or if so, it's very, very little words, because she was tortured by her father as a kid growing up to become this master assassin and her mother is lady shiva who's another like master assassin and she's this incredible fighter who idolizes batman and idolizes batgirl and when barbara gordon gets her spine broken she picks up the mantle of batgirl because she felt that there always needed to be a Batgirl in the world. And the way they do it in this movie, where she's just like a, a pickpocket with no other redeemable qualities, is a total bummer. If you like breakfast burritos, this is the movie for you. It is very pro-breakfast burrito. It sure is. <laughs> All right, well, guys, we have a mission tonight. I mean, we got to get into this. I mean, we're talking some smack on the DCEU, you know, and fewer highlights than we would like. And so we are embarking on this journey now each of us is going to pitch our reboot of a character that should be part of a justice league movie so a dc universe hero we decided to leave wonder woman alone because it's kind of universally decided that first wonder woman movie is a triumph people love it the jury's still out on the sequel so we'll say for now it's not in trouble there's a third film greenlit but we are each going to pitch our solo film and then we're going to see if there is a thread we can use to bring them together as a Justice League and bring to you maybe what could have been. Is our version going to be better than what Zack Snyder was helming? We will see. So, Jeremy, why don't you kick us off, or did you want to go last? Oh, no. I'm ready to go first, because this is going to kick off (laughs) the start of the new DCEU, or whatever we want to call it. All right, the movie kicks off in the 25th century. A middle-aged security guard is wandering the Hall of Heroes on patrol of his normal route when a distress beacon begins beeping from one of the many, many floors of artifacts. He begins his search for the sound. Scene cuts to the nightmare scenario where Batman is trying to send Barry Allen back in time from the Snyderverse, sacrificing his life to prevent Darkseid's anti-life equation from striking Barry. Barry runs as fast as he can, barely outpacing the impending anti-life equation, finally breaking into the Speed Force. On his travels through the Speed Force, he loses concentration after seeing a silhouette of a man in a bubble floating alongside him briefly. He trips, stumbles, and falls out of the Speed Force into Christmas time of 1994. I've gone too far. Barry awakens in a hospital, bandaged, beaten, and heavily wounded. The doctor comes in after he wakes up and begins filling his head with stories, a terrible car accident, and that in due time, he might be able to walk again. Barry's head is pounding, unsure of himself and his surroundings, confused. Seemingly, amnesia begins setting in, and he doesn't quite remember what has happened. Why did he wind up in this hospital? What's this idea in his mind that he was on some sort of a mission? Does he have powers? If so, why isn't his healing working? Meanwhile, we begin following the story of the man in the bubble. The security guard from the future has come back to the 90s and begun masquerading as an everyday hero with future tech and knowledge of how things are supposed to play out. His travels with the sphere brought him to the same point in time as Barry fell out of the timeline. Our futuristic hero, Michael John Carter, a.k.a. Booster Gold, attempts to figure out why he was drawn to this time and place. Light detective work leads him to the hospital where Barry is wound up. Light being the key word, 
Knowing that he struggles with it, he isn't Batman after all. After smooth-talking many of the nurses gaining some access to the level Barry is on, he's stopped by security guards and a strange doctor. Booster realizes who he's dealing with. It is one Dr. Psycho. The telepath, telekinetic villain has begun his reign early after finding the powered-up Barry Allen from the future falling into his lap, crashing into his lab. Psycho has set up a series of roadblocks in Barry's mind, preventing him from accessing his powers, preventing him from feeling his legs. The paralysis, that the doctor tells him, is psychosomatic, blocking the memories of who he was, and he's doing everything he can to prevent our heroes from saving the day. Booster backs off away from the hospital and begins his prep work on Dr. Psycho with his trusty sidekick, Skeets. Booster uses some future tech to create a device, Skeets did most of it, to prevent the mind control manipulation by Dr. Psycho on himself and in hopes that he can get close enough to Barry to get one on him as well to free his mind. The tech works for Booster mostly up until the end where he has to battle it out in his mind with the bad doctor in order to free himself and release his control on Barry. Barry's watching all of this from his bed and has begun feeling his legs and his mind begins to clear as Booster is battling Psycho. And by the time Psycho is defeated, Barry is back on his feet. He converses briefly with Booster after they escape and go and collect his suit from Psycho's lab with both heroes powered up. Barry will be sporting some hospital gown, homemade type suit. After visiting with his parents and his own young one and a half year old self, launches back into the future to alert Bruce in Justice League, but finds that the trajectory of the DCEU is forever changed. But you teased Booster Gold. I was literally raising my arms in the air, cheering in silence. (laughs) (laughs) Booster Gold! Booster Gold. You may have my vote already. Oh, boy. Wow. Okay, so honestly, Booster Gold, I'm thinking either Nathan Fillion, who would be perfect for it, or, or Matt Damon. Who can both it play demon. kind of a bumbling uh, <laughs> superhero in disguise type thing? Yeah. Um, Barry, I totally envision this movie to where Barry, we only see him with bandaged up head the whole movie until the end. What? And it could be it could be anyone. We could recast it. I mean, someone like Joseph Gordon-Levitt maybe, but at the same time, they kind of have Barry set up to where his birthday is Ezra Miller's birthday. So he's got to be late 20s-ish to play him. Possibly Robbie Amell. He's older than, he's older than us. Yeah, Robbie I know Amell. he's older than us, but he keeps like playing a, younger. He does keep playing younger. <laughs> what about like a Liam Helmsworth to really stick it to the MCU? Like, here, you got, <laughs> we got the other I one. was going to say, he's probably taken by somebody else with a stronger jawline. He's taken by my pitch. So hands off, Liam Hemsworth. Oh, there oh. it is. Larry Hemsworth. <laughs> Luke Helmsworth is the other one. There's another one I'm thinking of. There's another guy that that keeps getting talked about for Batman Beyond. Uh, Pedro Pascal. No. (laughs) Come on. I did find my Barry characters. It is Logan Lerman from Percy Jackson or uh, Dylan O'Brien from The Maze Runner. I like the guy from Percy Jackson. That's a pretty good pick. That's that's because he's like just old enough now that he's still kind of like. In that uh, younger the, age, but right? They're the, yeah. they're the same age as Ezra, so yeah. it works in the timeline. I I, I I concur. All right, but what about your director? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. Like, I'm thinking it's got to be somebody comedy, maybe Adam McKay. 
Well, that's I like interesting. Adam McKay. I like Adam <laughs> McKay, yeah. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about the color of your hero? He might not be gold. Well, even though we talked about how Green Lantern is not technically part of the DCEU, but he should be. And not only that, as you will see, I do have greater affection for the Arrowverse than I do for DCEU. So there might be some overlap here. Here we go. We got Green Lantern 2021, I guess. There's no date, but you know what I mean. Anyway, I, I see it opening with opening credits much like uh, Watchmen, where there's stills kind of telling the backstory. And so we would get a still with Abin Sur giving Hal Jordan the ring, touching the ring to the battery, fighting Sinestro, founding the Justice League, going undercover with Green Arrow, having his romance with Star Sapphire, a coast city being destroyed, holding Star Sapphire's dead body, then transforming into Parallax, destroying the central power battery with all of the dead Green Lanterns around him, then another still of him defeating the entire Justice League, and then finally splitting into two, battling the Parallax version of himself and hurtling into the sun. As the opening credits end with a close-up on two eyes suddenly bursting open. We go from there to hikers in Montana that come across a wreck of unknown origin, and a survivor comes out and says, it has a name, he's coming, and then dies. And then we flash into the city, and we see that we're in, or I don't, I don't know, we know we're in Star City, but Green Arrow is fighting someone called the Black Hand, when all of a sudden the Black Hand suddenly stops and says, something's not right, something's, and then he vanishes. Then we cut to two jets that are doing maneuvers in California, when all of a sudden the ruins of Coast City appear out of nowhere, with one building standing in perfect condition, uh, and it's a small house. Back in Star City, Oliver Queen, otherwise known as the Green Arrow, hears of Coast City and so asks for the address of that building that reappeared. And when someone uh, or when Felicity looks up uh, what that address is, his face goes blank. He says, I know exactly whose house that is and then grabs the phone. Meanwhile, a man wakes up in an empty house, looking around, has no recollection of what he's doing here or the house itself, just utter confusion. So he looks around and then opens the front door and sees that he is, is in the wastes of Coast City. We get a moment to kind of look around at all the devastation everywhere, and then all of a sudden, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, the entire Justice League, including the Green Arrow, arrive, aiming their weapons at, or like, I guess with Superman, his eyes are charging, and you know, all that sort of stuff like that, ready to annihilate this man. When Green Arrow says, wait, look at his finger, and they look at his finger and they see that he doesn't have any ring on his finger. And Oliver then asks, how? But Hal shows no recollection of what's going on or who this person is. So they bring him back to Star City and they're doing experiments like they do. Felicity can't explain what's going on. And then... Two men come into their secret hideout, and it is Guy Gardner and John Stewart who says, maybe we can explain it. They say that one way or the other, our rings keep repeating, and then he shows them that the rings are saying, Parallax is coming. Parallax is coming over and over again, and here he is. So there, Guy Gardner and, and John Stewart are about to fight Hal when Superman stops him and says, listen, he's in, in no condition to stop you. you. He doesn't even have a ring. So... 
after some discussion, the, the, the two Green Lanterns decide that they need to take Hal to the secret Green Lantern base on the moon, where there is a, a battery that has been hidden there. And once there, they connect their rings to the battery, and it ends up replicating the ring on to Hal's finger. As soon as the ring appears on Hal's finger, he starts convulsing, and we zoom in to Hal's mind. Inside of Hal's mind, we see that he's faced with a parallax, evil, yellow-ish, not weird yellow, but you know, parallax version of himself, which is the essence of fear, and tries to convince him of the power of fear and instilling fear and how much power that has. But then a second version of himself appears, identifies itself as Spectre, the opposite of fear, which he defines as will and maybe has a green tint. I don't know how you make that not look ridiculous, but whatever. So then Spectre and Parallax begin battling and somehow I haven't quite figured out how the understanding would take place. But both Hal and we come to an understanding that Parallax is actually not just an evil version of Hal. It's actually an entity from the beginning of time that has always fed off fear. That in fact, the Guardians that built the Green Lanterns built the original battery to contain it. And that the only thing that can contain fear is strength of will. And that's why they encased it in the battery of all will from the universe. But encasing Parallax in there did actually give Parallax the ability to influence all Green Lanterns everywhere. So that's where we saw their like lack of care for the small and the poor, insecurities that they would play off and most significantly in Sinestro. And that's how Parallax was able to take over Jordan, uh, Hal Jordan after Coast City's destruction. And that's what made him destroy the battery, which then freed Parallax. And that when he was cast into the sun, when they both cast into the sun, Parallax's power could not be destroyed. Instead, what it did is it cast Hal back into the real world and a part of Parallax remained in the moon's battery. So back in the real world, Sinestro shows up and starts attacking Guy Gardner and Stuart. And in Hal's mind, though, or now we go back as this battle begins, we go back into Hal's mind and Hal realizes that if Parallax is actually an outside entity, then that means Spectre must actually be me and that I have the strength to fight and to reject Parallax. This isn't a separate entity, so he, he does, and he defeats Parallax, but rather than him ceasing to exist, he goes into Sinestro, and Sinestro, then being empowered with Parallax, is able to defeat both Stuart and Gardner through amplifying their doubts and their fears and their insecurities. But just then, Hal returns in full power, and Sinestro slash Parallax has no effect over him, because Hal has realized it's not about not having fear, it's about having that fear and choosing to overcome it. So then he traps Sinestro Parallax in that battery from the moon, and then he takes the battery to protect it forever, returning back to Earth, pledging to repair all that he has done, but the Justice League doesn't trust him because of everything that they've been through, but Green Arrow decides to give him a chance and says, you can start by rebuilding Coast City. So he goes and begins rebuilding his home city as credits roll. Very nice. Jeff, did you have an idea for your director and who you wanted to play your Green Lantern? Director, honestly, I'd go with Zack Snyder. I'm not a huge <laughs> Zack Snyder guy, but based on what he did with 
Watchmen and wanting this to have a more of a Watchmen kind of feel about it, especially like like we kind of talked about at the beginning, hoping that if we give him something, because this is a, a pretty direct adaptation. I was going to say, I was like, Jeff, do you read comics? Because this is like a little bit of a hybrid of right. um, what happens with Zero Hour as well as what happens in Rebirth, except Hal becomes the Spectre after he, he loses the Parallax thing. But yeah, but so then hopefully uh, using that i think it could be a pretty faithful adaptation about the because that was exactly why they wrote that story from what i can tell is that they had killed off Hal, and then everybody hated it and so they're like well we got to do something we got to re-justify him and so that seems to work well so yeah i would put Zack snyder at the helm as far as my Hal jordan i want to say uh, i honestly i only got through one episode of the stand so i want to give james marsden because i feel like he has the look i just don't know that he has the chops to it you might think i'm crazy when i say this but i kind of when i look at him i could see zach efron as a hal jordan Hmm. because he's he's snarky but he's also he's jack i mean he's short but he's you know i don't know it's it's hard because he's such a you know, if you had asked me like 15 years oh, ago, yeah. the guy who played Angel from uh, from Buffy, oh. David Boreanaz, yeah, him yeah. or Nathan like Fillion? He, no, not Nathan Fillion. He's not. <laughs> David Boreanaz, like back in the late 2000s or early 2000s, like he looked like Hal Jordan and be like, oh, that guy would be well, great. Well, but here's yeah. the thing, guys. Like Jeff's story here, this is an established Green Lantern. So I mean, you could go with an older actor, and especially at that time in the comics, Hal Jordan had the gray temples in his hair. You know what I mean? Like, like that was his look. He was an older, established hero, so you could go that way. Technically, he loses it in the in the comic, at least. Yeah, in Uh, Rebirth, when he comes back, he loses it because they said that the the gray like sideburns or whatever were the impact of parallax infecting him. Right, which that might be kind of cool. But so I I, yeah, I might go down with Angel. I think uh, Boreanaz. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. He's a little stony for me. I don't know. I haven't watched. Um, what does he do now? Well, Bones too, but like isn't he on Navy Seals? Watch? Like Navy or Seals, I think it's called. Sealed? Right? Is that what it is? Okay, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know if that he either. has or yeah, if he's more dynamic or more because you gotta love him. You gotta you gotta be on his side. He's yeah. your everyman. So. All right, well, I got a pitch here, too. So this is a a film that I'm going to start with my filmmaker and my star, because there is a filmmaker that I have in mind who never got to make his planned Spider-Man or X-Men films in the 90s. Oh, no. I wanted to give Jimmy C his shot at superheroes. Yes, my Aquaman film will be written and directed by James Cameron. Wow. He made The Abyss. He loves marine science and riding in submarines in his free time. Who better to bring Aquaman to life? But who will star as the man who talks to fish? Jason Momoa, we talked about. He's cool, but he's not who we think of in the classic sense of Aquaman. So that is why I go for Liam Hemsworth. He has been living in the shadow of his brother's mighty hammer long enough. (laughs) Give the guy his own <laughs> franchise. It was well-timed, Mark. The, the dog agrees. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and thus I give you Aquaman Dead Water. 
A government agent named Anna is charged with investigating the series of violent underwater attacks on cargo ships, oil tankers, and oil rigs over the last 20 years. Rumors of coordinated attacks by giant squid, whales, and sharks abound, but no one truly believes the creatures of the sea could be smart enough to rebel against mankind. Anna isn't so sure. As the daughter of a marine biologist who took over the Curry Aquatic Science Institute after its founder's mysterious disappearance, she's always been able to recognize the intelligence of these aquatic animals. Anna's boss, Director McCarthy, espouses his belief that the ocean is so huge, what's the harm in some areas being just as polluted as major cities on land? Above or below? We're all sharing the same planet. Words that will come back to haunt him. Just then, their ship is attacked from below and begins to sink. Anna catches sight of the attacker, a long-haired, seemingly human maniac with a harpoon for a hand, and she pleads with the aquatic stranger to save them. Catching sight of the Curry Institute insignia on her necklace pendant, the Aquaman's curiosity is piqued, and he rescues Anna while leaving the rest to drown. She fights off the stranger, screaming for him to save the others, which he does reluctantly, despite being shot at upon his approach. Pushing half the boat to shore, he then returns to Anna and rips the pendant from her neck, saying, this is mine, before swimming away. This attack has McCarthy realizing that undersea dwellers exist and are a threat to national security, and so he begins sending out teams to find and detain this Aquaman. Instead, they run into a seemingly benevolent underwater dictator, Coram Wrath, and his soldiers, who claim to have been uniting and protecting the people of the sea for the last 20 years against pollution from above. McCarthy strikes up a deal he thinks is for peace as Korrath offers an ocean water purification system that will end drought on Earth in exchange for a prototype underwater heating device developed by the government, which Rath claims is needed to create a more livable space for his own people at lower, colder depths where they won't be affected by pollution from the surface world. Anna is suspicious, and rightly so, since the purification system is actually part of Korrath's plan to infect humanity with his mysterious serious dead water formula to help accomplish his larger as yet unrevealed goal seeking to find the truth about wrath anna uses her pet dolphin coral to help her locate arthur and after a playful chase scene with anna riding on the back of the dolphin to catch up with this aquaman the two bond over the memories of his father's groundbreaking work in marine science it's not romantic just a friendly soulmate bond of being in love with the sea in a flashback set in the 1990s, we see a marine scientist, Professor Curry, exploring uncharted ocean depths, where he finds his personal submarine is trapped in an unexpected current that seems to have a mind of its own, and after being yanked through miles of ocean while dodging giant creatures of the sea, he's brought face-to-face with a beautiful underwater warrior, Princess Atlanta. Curry is interrogated and made to stand trial for the pollution caused by land dwellers in the oceans of the world. This dead water that was created by the pollution has caused mutations the populace, giving certain factions controlled by Coram Wrath lethal powers, leading to the enslavement of weaker merfolk. Atlanta, who leads the last surviving faction of the old altruistic monarchy, falls in love with Curry during the course of this trial, and to save her new love, they escape to an underwater cave where they conceive a child, their son Arthur. They learn to live a life of seclusion, but on Arthur's tenth birthday, his parents are killed by the installation of an oil drilling rig that pierces their secret home, and Arthur is left in ocean 
ocean-dwelling orphan whose vengeful anger towards the surface grows as he matures into adulthood. Arthur reveals that he survived all these years, being adopted by various undersea creatures who he claims are more innocent and loving than any human could be. He admits to being responsible for the attacks Anna was investigating, getting revenge on the surface world when they disrupted the safety of his friends. Arthur also explains that he had given up trying to fight against Corb rats conquering hordes after he lost his hand in a battle, deciding instead to be a protector of undersea creatures being threatened by the surface dwellers. Of course, Anna takes Arthur eventually on land for some literal fish-out-of-water hijinks, like storming the kitchen of a seafood restaurant or liberating a killer whale from a SeaWorld-type theme park prison as Anna makes reference to Free Willy that Arthur doesn't get. It's in these scenes we learn Arthur can communicate with sea life and that Anna seems to have a latent ability to do the same. Arthur ultimately begins to accept that not all humanity are thoughtless killers when he observes families playing together at parks and recalls the joys of his own lost childhood. He gives Anna her necklace back as a sign of their bond, but still claims he belongs to the sea. Preparing to say goodbye at the shoreline, Arthur and Anna are spotted by a squad of Deadwater soldiers and attacked when one of them recognizes Anna from the previous meeting between Wrath and McCarthy. Anna holds her own in a fight with one of the soldiers while we see Arthur's fighting prowess, which involves calling on his underwater friends to attack the Deadwater soldiers in various creative fight choreography configurations until they retreat. The fight is filmed by beachgoers. Videos of the Aquaman are posted on social media. By this time, director McCarthy figures out what Korvath is really up to and alerts Anna, but it's too late. Deadwater has already been introduced into the water supply of coastal cities worldwide, with the panicking citizens fleeing to the oceans en masse as their bodies mutate to form gills requiring an underwater environment to live. Wrath transmits a message via communication system that travels through the moisture in the air, explaining that he will give them sanctuary in the world beneath the waves from a surface world that has failed them by polluting their environment and their bodies. The new conscripts are mutated by the Deadwater into mindless but powerful drones tasked with protecting the heating device that is said to melt the polar ice caps and submerge the surface world to make Korobrath the ruler of the planet, leading all creatures to unity under his forced peaceful existence. Anna and Arthur agree they must stop Wrath, and Anna leads a group of agents to deactivate the heating devices, while the one-on-one -on -one final battle between Arthur and Wrath takes place inside and on top of massive tidal waves created by the rapidly melting polar ice caps that are rushing towards the mainland. The submerging of the surface world is stopped by Arthur rallying all the underwater creatures of the world to protect the shores by rushing through the water together, creating an even bigger wave that pushes back the perilous polar waves as Wrath control over his hordes is lost as is his life as they rebel against him. The effects of the Deadwater end with Wrath's demise as the unmutated populace emerge from the ocean back to the land being transported by various friendly sea creatures resulting in a new bond and respect for ocean life. Arthur returns to the oceans in order to restore order to the undersea world but says Anna could call on him anytime. Aquaman. Deadwater. Does he lose his hand? That was at the beginning. He lost his hand in previous battles. He's been Aquaman for a while. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> but is his other hand made of water? <laughs> that Not is an element. Yet. Not yet. Oh, that's a, that's the sequel? Okay, good enough. That's right, that's right. But for you, if this is a James Cameron movie, then then who is, what's his name, Michael Bear going to play? Uh, he's going to play Cora Wrath, of course. Okay. <laughs> he's got to be somewhere. Right. <laughs> 
All right, now we're ready for the main event here. Uh, Michael took the big dogs when we were putting this all together. So it is time for you to share with us what you have. So I elected to do Batman and Superman because I like to torture myself, I guess, you know? And so I I was really conflicted about this for a while because I wanted to do like an Elseworld story and like a a, a different Earth maybe, but I figured it'd be too complex for people to wrap their heads around the multiverse of the DC which essentially they're trying to do now anyway. But I wanted to keep them smaller stories, okay? So go with me on this. And because this is a crossover with Wizards, I wanted to tie in some some comic book-related elements to it. And so first, I'll give you my cast. So for Superman, I have a, a character, a guy named Matt Bomber. Do you know who that is? Nope. From, uh, he was yeah, in from, White uh, Collar. Oh, he, yes, oh, yes. He's in Chuck. Right. He yes, was, he's in uh, Chuck. Also, yes, he's he's yeah. like uh, the the he's, he's blue Bryce. eyes, blue yes. eyes. And he's in Magic Mike. So yes, hey. yes, he is. Yeah, he's a really cool look for it, and a lot of people have like wanted to fan cast him as Superman. So he has that good kind of charismatic look. Now for Batman, though, I actually do like Ben Affleck as Batman. I have two, and I'll let you guys choose who you think is better: Wes Bentley or. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Aaron Taylor Johnson is always out in any casting for me, so I will go with Wes Bentley. He's got a a mysterious uh, element to him. If you guys disagree with me, let me know, Jeremy and Jeff. Wes Bentley was actually on some of the lists I was looking at for uh, potentially barrier booster. Okay, cool. So my director is John Favreau, because he's so hot right now. You know, I have to get... So... I didn't really write it as a story per se, as more of a just like beats and ideas that I feel are, are essential to Superman and Batman in a lot of ways. One of my biggest problems I had with Man of Steel film is the way that Pa Kent dies, as we kind of tease a little bit in the beginning. And one of the biggest things that I loved about the original Superman movie is how Clark says, with all my power, I couldn't save him because it was a heart attack, right? And so there's a show that was canceled called Emergence. Did you guys ever see the show? Uh-uh. So it was about a super-powered girl, and she's living with this family, and one of the characters in the family is a, is a guy who's in remission from cancer. And, and she says, no, you're not. And he goes back to the doctor and finds out that his cancer came back because she could kind of like see inside of his body and see the cells. And I thought like for Superman, you know, I think an element of not having Pa Kent around as he becomes Superman is, is, a, is a very important point, even though he's supposed to be more lighthearted or whatever. But this is key to the story. So Clark Kent knows his father is dying. He can see it inside of him, but he can't do anything about it. Pa Kent passes away from cancer or something like that, right? And then there's a story in the comics called uh, Superman Grounded, where he deals with a major loss in the comics, and he decides he's going to go across the country as Clark Kent and just helping people throughout the country to, like, reestablish his humanity and decency and just getting to know the the common man throughout the world and he's sometimes superman he's sometimes just clark kent and he's just kind of helping people in a way kind of like uh the 70s hulk bruce banner tv show would do like you know he's just kind of walking around and and traveling around and helping people but who does he punch michael he'll punch people But along the way, he is finding young heroes, and he's meeting them, and he's seeing them do heroic things, and 
he becomes re-inspired to be the light to to save people and and become what's eventually going to be Superman. While he's traveling around the country, he begins to hear a beacon, and he's drawn to this beacon, and he travels all the way up through Canada and into essentially Alaska, and he finds what is going to be the Fortress of Solitude, which in Man of Steel is a spaceship. And I really liked that idea. I thought that was instead of him throwing a crystal to make the fortress, he he finds the fortress and he goes there and he learns about his history of Krypton and who he really is because he still doesn't know who he is until this point. And then he finds the suit and he dons a suit similarly to Man of Steel. And in Man of Steel, there's a there's one of those pods that is empty, which they alluded to be would be Kara Zor-El. And he sees that pod and he sees the name Zor-El. And now he must find this other Kryptonian to try to help her. But what he doesn't see is there's a second pod that is empty that says Zod. And he now he's become Superman. He he moves to Metropolis to help people in the big city. And he's being a reporter as Clark Kent. And he's doing all that kind of stuff. And then then we start seeing heroic things by this man in blue and red streaking across the sky. And this draws the attention of Zod, who comes to Metropolis and wages war against the other Kryptonian. And similarly to Man of Steel, Metropolis gets very much destroyed because Superman doesn't fully understand his powers, let's say. He's still trying to figure it all out. And and Zod is such a relentless killing machine that there's no way to stop him because he's so strong, except that he brings with him the Phantom Zone gun from the fortress and instead of killing Zod he blasts him into the Phantom Zone and that and essentially that's how the first movie would end and then this is where Batman comes in and as Adam and I both mentioned I love the idea of Bruce Wayne being in the rubble of this destruction in Metropolis I think that was such a cool scene and a beautiful introduction to Batman in the movie and he's you know he's helping people running around but as he's doing this he sees a red streak shooting around the city all over the place and and doing different things he, he hears like the crack of a whip which essentially is a lasso of of truth and like warrior calls in the air as he's trying to help people as batman or or as bruce wayne running around the city while this war is being waged by these two kryptonians in the sky and one of my biggest problems with with batman v superman is the jump from that scene to 18 months later as opposed to immediately after and i like the idea of the trial in in the capitol building but this time superman is on trial for the destruction in metropolis as a, mm. and, and all of the death there as opposed to the the battle in afghanistan in in batman v superman and there is a bomb in the building, but this time Superman hears the bomb, he sees the bomb, and he blasts through the ceiling, and he saves all the people inside of the Capitol building by just taking this bomb and, and getting it out of there. Instead of everybody getting vaporized, he saves everybody. This sparks Batman to kind of essentially hunt down Superman, and they start duking out and fighting and, and battling but at the same time, 
there's a story in the New 52 called Throne of Atlantis. Have you guys ever seen the animated version of this movie or read the comic? I think I have it. I just haven't watched it yet. So Throne of Atlantis basically is the that Orm who is the leader of the Atlanteans. They've been getting attacked or there's been, you know, sewage and waste and destruction in the oceans, mostly from an attack from Darkseid. And they decide to rise up to attack the humans. And in Man of Steel, they have these two world engines on either side of the planet that are just basically trying to rupture the, the core of Earth by, by Zod. In the movie, it's a Kryptonian thing. Technically, it's really an apocalypse thing with Darkseid. But... My thought was the world engines are destroying the Earth, but when they break apart, they fall into the ocean as like kryptonite. And that's where kryptonite comes from is the two world engines. And they've destroyed the ocean from all the kryptonite pollution in in the water. And then they rise up to wage war on Earth. And now Batman and Superman, in conjunction with Wonder Woman and this this Scarlet Speedster and this water-dwelling guy of Aquaman have to come together to push the Atlanteans back to the sea and protect Metropolis as it rebuilds from the destruction of the previous movie. The Batman movie, I kind of, or, or Batman v Superman or Throne of Atlantis, whatever you want to call it, I thought J.J. Abrams would be the one to, to make that movie, to bring that story together. And as they, you know, force the Atlanteans back into the sea and dethrone Orm, what you find out in the background is Lex Luthor is starting to create Cadmus and with Amanda Waller. And if those of you guys who don't know what Cadmus is, that's where Doomsday comes from. And it's also where the Superboy character comes from, who is essentially a clone of the DNA of Superman and Lex Luthor. And that's how the movie ends to lead into the reign of the Superman, essentially. And that's my story. Well, I mean, I, th- I think we really did lay out, uh, and, you know, totally unintentionally, this universe. You know, it kind of worked out perfect with each pitch. You know, we kind of had uh, two stories in the middle that kind of were their own thing. And then we got your bookends of your stories that feel like they can pull together pretty well here. Yeah, it's interesting, Michael, with your pitches, how just a few tweaks of the Batman v Superman and Man of Steel stories can make it so much better. <laughs> like, like the, not all of it was bad, it was just not well constructed. Right. So you, you add some other better, more hopeful, more exciting elements that aren't so dark and dreary and angry, and, and then you got some good stuff. So the question comes here then, with the inciting incident, it sounds like could work out very well in Michael's film, because that's always the question, right? Is like, if all this like world ending stuff is happening, how come if these other heroes that exist are not there also fighting? in every movie you know like that's what it comes down so i love how during that destruction of metropolis you have all those characters there trying to help the question i have then is what do we want to be the tenpole like yeah the first meeting place and occurrence that that brings them together not just as kind of a rumor of oh this red streak or this whipping sound you know jeremy i know you had kind of an idea for an overarching concept right with your flash traveling through time 
I was actually thinking it would be Booster Gold, who his travels back in time that kind of spur off the new DCEU. And there could be at the end of each movie an end credit scene of Booster trying to fix something and creates the next situation for the alternate heroes. So is he the one then in the Justice League movie? It's ultimately like the culmination of all those end credit scenes and then he is now bringing the Justice League together and introducing them to each other? Is that kind of how you see it? Uh, it could be something like that. For a Justice League type movie, could we do like almost a secret invasion type movie with the White Martians? I don't even know what that story is. I know the Marvel <laughs> one. I don't know these right. White Martian uh, characters. They, they're also shape-shifting and have powers. They pose as another super team uh, trying to take over the world. Ah, okay. I actually do like the idea that there's a Justice League movie and the original Justice League turns out to be evil. So it's like a whole situation of like, you, everybody's like, wait, who are these characters? This is not Wonder Woman. This is not Superman. You know, and like it builds at the beginning with this other super team. And then we got to get our guys together that we know to save the world from them. I think that's actually a really strong concept. Could be. So I, I, I like the idea of Jeremy using Booster Gold to kind of nudge history to happen. You know, right. It, he, he's flashpointing it without flashpointing it, but creating different points in time that allow us to recast and do whatever we want yeah. story wise. And and it'll all be within character because, yes, he has knowledge from the future, so he knows what should happen. But he's very inadequate and bumbling in his attempts to put things <laughs> right. back on the on the path. And so there's, in the comics and in the cartoons, there's an alternate Earth of Justice League called the Justice Lords, which are the same heroes, but they're, like, draconian in the way they kind of, like, rule with an iron thumb to keep the world safe. Just a thumb, Michael, not a whole fist? Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but but I like the idea of, you know, the White Martians, maybe if you want to tie in the multiverse, they were on another Earth and they saw some other kind of heroes and they mimicked those heroes yeah. on this Earth. And, you know, they could be anything. They could be like the Justice League International and just a random selection of heroes, but they're not necessarily good heroes. They're good with an ulterior motive. And yeah. it, ta it, it takes Martian Manhunter, who was a green Martian, to realize that they are not the real heroes that they That's say. That's what I was going to say. I feel like you, you got to find a way an in for him. Well, there's the in right now because he's the one like Booster Gold has been there. Like you said, Jeremy, kind of behind the scenes, secretly nudging everybody, getting where they want to be. And then, you know, Martian Manhunter is coming in and saying, look, this is the threat you don't understand. And all of you are busy doing your own separate missions, having your own sense of justice. You need to bring it together as a Justice League to fight for your planet because you don't realize because you, you've been letting these other heroes yeah. do your job. You've been invaded yeah. and you don't even know it. So maybe yeah. it's his story arc is, I guess, showing how he's been hunting down these white Martians from Mars and that's how he winds up on Earth. Now here's a very important question. Who do we cast as Martian Manhunter? Keith David. He's going to be under a bunch of makeup anyway. <laughs> he's got the voice. But he's pretty old now. Um, <laughs> but it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. He's probably going to be all CG anyway. It's not even going to be makeup. But when <laughs> but when he's J John Jones, he's uh, a man, you know? Like, that's a good point. You know, yeah. You know, everyone will be like, oh, it's got to be Idris Elba. You know, it's it's got to be Denzel. Michael B. Jordan. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. 
Oh, oh no. Let me think real quick. Hold on. I'd say in the last yeah, twenty years, he's been mostly African American. Yeah. At least, yeah. at, le- at least since the Justice League cartoon and around that time, he's he's generally been that way. What about like a, somebody like Donald Glover? I mean, I guess you could play him as being quirky because I mean, but he, he just yeah, feels like his voice you know, he... isn't quite as iconic. Yeah. Right, but like when he when he when he's playing the man, he's just Donald Glover, short guy but when he becomes the martian he could be six foot five and the voice could be modulated or something like that and you would never know the difference you know yeah. who who was the actor that was playing him in man of steel oh uh what's his he's great he's a great actor too um does a lot of tv work well i know what's his name david harewood plays him on supergirl yeah right i'm thinking about this dennis haysbert guy i don't know if you guys sure. look him up 24 yeah, yeah he, he's from 24. He's, he's, he's the old state of... guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Now, that's why I thought of him, because I was just like, man, he's just, he's got the voice, and that ultimately, like, right. in so and many it's... portrayals, that's what's important. Yes, you know? it's the gravitas. Oh, so the question you're asking about the man, the guy from Man of Steel, that's Harry Lennox is his name. Yes. Oh, okay. And he's been in a lot of stuff. Like, he's a lot of, he's, he was in The Matrix Reloaded, he's in The Blacklist, he's all over the place. Oh, so, that guy? Yeah. yeah. He doesn't... I don't know. I mean, again, like you said, you can you're gonna CGI him anyway. So right. I mean, you well, could do you a Lawrence Fishburne voice when you CGI him, right? <laughs> Just Silver Surfer it. Yes. I'm still putting. I'm, I'm hanging on to Dennis Haysbert, but I that's up to tell. you guys. Like I, a, like a like a good neighbor, he is there to be your Martian Manhunter. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll take it. What about it's, uh, it's either him uh, or you have like the greatest voice in TV, Phil Lamar. Phil Lamar. I love Phil Lamar, <laughs> but I just don't. No, no, no. He, he he doesn't have the physical gravitas, you know. I mean, he he is a chameleon well, with his said, vocal powers. As yeah. you said, they're just gonna CGI him. So right, I'm telling you, Hisham Tafik from the Blacklist. He's uh, oh, this is okay. the guy. I I got <laughs> I got I got two picks for you. I'll let you guys think about this. First one, though he's playing Commissioner Gordon coming up, Jeffrey Wright. He's older, but he's got a great voice and he's got a great look like okay. to play a, a detective of, of John Jones. Or the other one, to give him kind of a redeeming superhero because his first time out didn't go so well, Michael Jai White. Wow. He brings intensity, but I don't think he brings gravitas. I don't I don't have an instant respect when I see Michael Jai White on the screen. I'm like, ooh, that's a good looking man. And he's he's got a lot of got a fire in him, but John Jones doesn't like fire. So you know who, maybe... <laughs> do you know who Andre Brower is from Brooklyn Nine Nine? Yes, I've, yeah. yeah. Maybe he could just be all of them. John Jones is a shapeshifter. The they all be get a scene. He could literally be all of them, seriously, yeah. in, di- in different voices. It would make no difference. That's that that is how we keep ourselves uh, in line here so we don't break apart our Justice League here on the show. Everybody gets to play him. That would actually be kind of cool because maybe he is showing up in different forms in to each the movie. different heroes. Yeah. And, like, and, and so and then eventually like, wait, he, no, wait, this is my guy. No, this is my guy. You know, and then like he comes together. We see him cycle through all the different actors, but then we get the CGI Martian version. Yeah. And then we have one voice and that could be Phil Lamar. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do we need to cast our alternate heroes, or are we just going to grab a bunch of uh, sharp-looking anti-hero types? 
Exactly. I, I think they, I mean, c- c- because we're not defining them specifically, like, well, which characters are they? It's kind of hard to do that. So yeah, I would think that they will be, it almost, what I feel like it should be is they should be TV actors. So they're sort of lesser than our movie star actors that right. are going to be they're, in this. They're recognizable, but yeah. they're like, oh, it's that guy. Adam, <laughs> I have a thought for you. Yeah. What, what if the White Martian team is the Justice Society of America? Hmm. You know, like Our Man and that version of Green Lantern. The only reason I say no is because they look so hokey that nobody would, you know, like when they're in this yeah. modern world, nobody would be on board with them. I, I, obviously, you could update the looks for this film and they could just go by those names. But like, I'm much more like you were saying, like some of these, them being inspired by the, the other world worldly versions of our heroes right so in in that vein what if they're the crime syndicate of america yeah i thought of them three like, like earth three yeah yeah That's, I mean, that would actually be great i mean they're get, they're so iconic get, in their design ultraman and, and yep. you know Owlman is not the bad Owlman, Owlman, Owlman ultraman is... superwoman johnny quick power ring yeah and grid is the cyborg version yeah. Okay. I'm on board and, for that. Yeah, and they just they change their name probably Justice Society so there that it go. isn't obvious that they're the crime syndicate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I love that because I think for non-comic book fans that would be like a huge reveal because they're like, wait a minute, they're really villains and they're dictators on their planet and that kind of stuff. Like that would be a pretty good twist that that the non-comic book reading fans wouldn't see coming. So yeah, that's great. Well, I I think we've done it, gentlemen. I mean, when you look at this, <laughs> this can you feel the enthusiasm? We know you are they're listening you're getting excited by these ideas these are our heroes fighting for right that's it's gonna be a good movie we're gonna enjoy it it's a new beginning there are bright lights and nicely saturated even colored films it's gonna be a new and exciting day so michael thank you so much for uh giving us the idea and joining us hey is there anything that you want to plug here on the retro network well there just so happens to be a podcast that i host with someone you might know from this show called wizards the podcast guide to comics you can also check out our youtube series at wizards podcast and our twitter which is wizards comics or our instagram which is wizards underscore comics and our t public store if you want some fresh gear as well <laughs> and i will give a little plug to michael's other podcast here on the retro network if you love movies obviously we talk about a lot of movies here but he and his buddy pete have a great show called box office 30 where they actually go back 30 years in history and discuss the films that were happening month by month this month we've got kindergarten cop <laughs> and speaking of kevin costner earlier if you want to hear all of michael's thoughts on dances with wolves they just covered that as well but thank you again for joining us and of course sequel quest will be back with another adventure next month but until next time martha 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 <laughs> why did you say that name all right <laughs> 
We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.